Okay, Josh. So I have a club, and one thing I do at this club is we do blind taste tests. And I love it because it actually engages people in a way that they're just judging it based on their favorite taste, not actually a label. Because oftentimes labels or packaging can skew our perceptions on something. Sure. So if you saw something you knew was more expensive, you think, oh, it must taste better. Exactly. So let's launch out onto the loop today and discuss label biases today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Josh. And this is Brian. And welcome to Curiosity Continuum. We are a podcast and a movement started by two lifelong friends whose mission is to guide you through a changing world by helping you level up your contextual awareness and also your collaboration and problem-solving skills. Our conversations explore, examine, and reframe common practical topics that help you learn something new and apply what you already know in a new way. If you find these conversations helpful, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and rate us and leave a review so others can join the community. And you can always find us on curiositycontinuum.com and on our social media accounts. Thanks for tuning in and let's start the conversation. All right, Brian. So we were, you came up with this idea and this is a great idea. And uh, it was also kind of a shameless plug for your upstairs whiskey club that you have in uh, Franklin there, right, Brian? Indeed. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is an invite only club. You know, that club started because I had a chance to consult for a restaurant group, uh, A Marshall Hospitality, a few years ago, and they were in the process of opening their new uh, the new concept. Sure. And so, you know, for a long time, I was a teetotaler, and part of this, obviously, they really had a nice uh, bourbon selection, and so I kind of just had a chance to taste like, like just like a thumbnail worth of stuff to kind of start informing my palate. Right. And I realized I was very fortunate to have that type of experience and just to kind of learn the different kind of things that go into it. Uh, when you, it comes to any type of whiskey, it's really like water, grain, a barrel, and time. Those are really like the four main factors that play into it. And you get so many different kinds of expressions about it around the world. Sure. Now, uh, some of these brands are pretty iconic. If you talk about a Jack Daniels, you talk about uh, a McAllen, if you're talking about scotch. What's interesting, though, is that like sometimes these labels also carry the panache of like it's rare, it's coming from this distillery. The true whiskey nerds are really interested in what tastes right. Even the master distillers. Sure. They're like, if you ask them, they said, like, would you buy this, you know, $5,000 bottle? They said, no. They said, we'd go buy like a few cases of something that we actually like to drink and share it with our friends. It's like, that's actually kind of fun. Okay. So let me ask you a question before we go really down the rabbit hole here of uh, these label biases with whiskeys and just kind of like, what are the real differences in like if like regionally and is it the grains and how they're like grown and if they're like toasted and all that stuff or how old they are like what kind of go into some of that a little bit sure so there's a there's a big nerd hole you can kind of go down here and explore which i would encourage you to kind of research if you want to right essentially when you're talking about that you have to have a water source and where you source it from sure how the water tastes matters where you source the grains and the variety of the grain matters, right? Right. And then you're going to have your what's called your mash bill. So it's kind of like your percentages. What's your recipe that you're doing? To help ferment it, they also have yeast strains to eat the sugars in the grains. 
depending on the variance of yeast strain, it'll change the flavor. You then go to the barrel. Barrel can have a char rating of anywhere from like one to five, and five is like alligator char, basically. Uh, every distillery kind of has their own level of that. They'll put it through their pot, their different types of stills. There's their pot, there's quote column. unquote patented process. The pay yes, the patented <laughs> process here. Yeah, how you get from step one <laughs> to step three. Yep, exactly. Yep. And everyone's going to have a little bit different way they do it. Sure. At the end of the day, you know, for something like American, in the American whiskey category, like bourbon, has to be at least 51% corn in a uh, new, like, oak, charred oak barrel. To be considered straight bourbon, it has to be at least two years. Okay. Right, in the barrel. Sure. So, a couple different things if you want to be considered that. Uh, moonshine is basically unaged whiskey. It comes off the still. And there's also, if you're in the alcohol world, there's something called proof. So right. basically, if you take the percentage of alcohol and you double the number, that's kind of like a proof. So there are limits on how hot it can come off the still, and there's limits on how hot it can go into the barrel for aging. Right. That then kind of makes... This and then you wait a long time. <laughs> yes, and that's you know? part of the that's part of the art of it, right? Like waiting yes. that time because you're playing that game. Like what is going to be good five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now? Mm-hmm. It's the long game for sure. It's right. like hurry up and wait. And a lot of master distillers may have like two or three cycles where they actually adjust. Sure what they're doing and it's a really it's really an interesting thing you know for people who where bourbon and especially like the brown liquor category has experienced this uh kind of resurgence of popularity yeah it wasn't popular in the 90s exactly if you lived through the 90s you knew that like you know like vodka and other things were kind of more like in vogue quote unquote there was actually a languishing in the industry where you know different bourbons that or whiskeys that just kind of just hung around because they kind of was like oh that's my grandpa's something he would drink it's not like the new thing but especially now in a busy world people have kind of returned to the age you know time the age yeah i'm sorry turn to the like the old traditions of just distilling and letting it sit for a bit there's no way you can really duplicate it right so, it, it is this process that has to happen yes okay so now let's get to like the idea of these labels because obviously everybody i think everyone listening knows there's like jack daniels there's uh, you know, Jim Beam, and there's some other like household names for whiskey. Mm-hmm. And so certain people kind of have their own ideas on what these are and what they taste like, right? Correct. So now let's enter the label bias. This is the part of the conversation. So you have what is like the recipe and the process when it comes out of the barrel, how it tastes and how they're kind of shaping that taste. Right. Now, Every distillery, mostly now, there are craft distilleries out there, obviously, but the major powerhouses, they are big conglomerates, right? Right. They've bought one another up over the years, and so they have a large portfolio. Now, if you think about it, um, the same stuff that goes into one may go into the other, and that's kind of a funny thing to think about. You know, a few years ago, there's a brand in the Sazerac Holding Company called Weller, and there's a few different expressions of Weller, and it used to be like a bottom-shelf bourbon. And now because people found out about it, that they love it, now it's like really hard to find. And a lot of places may, you know, jack up the price to whatever because that's what's in demand. Right? Right. Then you stack it up against something else where it's like on the shelf. It's like, well, yeah, it's a, the label may look like it's not been updated since the 80s. Maybe a good chance it hasn't been updated since the 80s. <laughs> yeah. You know, Extremely Wild Turkey is one of those uh, brands where they have not really updated their logo at all. 
And you, it show, you know, you kind of see like it just looks like it does. Yeah, kind of you, retro. You, recognize you know, yeah, kind of retro because I mean, it's it's retro because it was actually designed in the retro time. <laughs> in the retro time frame, <laughs> it's what it is. You know, right? Wild turkey is kind of like always been considered like the working man's drink. You yeah. know, and it's positioned that way, and it's very accessible from a price point. And you can go up in price. A scotch has to be made in Scotland, and you can get really, especially in the United States, really expensive. You have some that are like, hey, this has been around 40 years. It's like on older than some people that would probably drink. Right. <laughs> so it, there's, and it's really rare. And it's, What's interesting, though, is when you say, okay, well, I perceive that Jim Beam would be something like this, you know. Yes. Or it'd be, this would be this type of thing. It's just your basic marketing and market positioning 101. And we all are subject to it. We all have perceptions about brands that we know. And there's a reason why we make the buying decisions that we do. It's not just all logical it's not all thought out and very introspective and intellectual it's a visceral thing and good brands make you feel something exactly so you might say this is better because i paid 80 bucks for it well you're you're you want to say that because you paid 80 dollars for it exactly and that matters this is the, this is the worst tasting 80 dollars like I've what if somebody told life. you you can get that same taste for 25 dollars right and you wouldn't believe if, them <laughs> Because it's like, well, no, there's a quality thing. Right. We 100% recognize when the quality is there and there's a difference. Like Josh and I, we love quality things. Absolutely. We're not always out for cheap 99. No. Sometimes you really want something that way. And there's real things that you can evaluate in that way. But oftentimes what I've found when you take out a label, especially in something like a food product or like a drink product. I think something that holds an emotional tie to the person. Yes. You know? Now they can only judge it based on what it oh, is. Oh, I like the flavor of this. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, Josh? When I've had these blind tasting nights, it's become my favorite format. Nobody has ever chosen the most expensive. That is extremely interesting and proof that marketing works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yep. Really? I mean, honestly. Yeah, and sometimes it's the rarity, like if you have a small batch of it. Sure. Uh, you I know, get that. that. That's the only one there is. But... When people said, that's what I enjoyed, it's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> you'd be amazed at how many people like the like the $17 whiskey. I wonder and, how many people just say, out. I'm never buying that. <laughs> right. Well, I, look, I've been in that number until like, I, cause I'm, when I participate in those things, it's like just little bitty bits. Right. And you get to taste it. And then we kind of like review our notes. Like, what did you taste? And, uh, you know, some people's palates are more in tune than others. Sure. So you kind of get different things, but it's nice to hear other people talk about it. They're trying to explain it in terms where everybody can understand. And then when you finally reveal what's at the end of it, they're like, you got to be kidding me. It just it's drives like, them crazy. Yeah. It just drives them nuts. It's like, I yeah. never would have picked that up. But it's like, right. But that's why we did this, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. why you do things like this to get over that bias. Like it is so you are just tasting on quality. That's it. Yes. Period. And for something like a something that's taste, I can't tell you if it should taste good to you. Only you can say right, that. Right. Absolutely. It's a very personal experience. I think we. I think this is a, a great place to also say too. With label biases, now we've talked about something that comes in a bottle. The shape of the bottle matters. The label, all those different kinds of things, play into it. Obviously, like what your budget is will kind of inform well, those absolutely. decisions. Yeah. Depending. But these type of things also apply to people. And now you're saying like, well, of course it does. But think about this in this regard. We had an episode where Josh relayed and regaled the story of when he was in the line at Goodwill hunting for some old video games and things. He likes to hunt for old tech. 
and he yeah. collects that. So right. he's there for it. There was a, a very well-meaning lady because Josh went and hadn't uh, showered. <laughs> you know, hair was kind of like a hot mess and stuff. That's just kind of how it, I normally am. If you see me, I do look like <laughs> I'm not like all there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's standard, uh, I guess, clothing procedure for Josh. Yeah. Jeans but and T-shirts would... and shorts. That's about me, you know? <laughs> would you ever know that in that, in that body <laughs> and in that appearance, you know, this is somebody who has the mind of an aerospace engineer. I mean, probably not. You would right. say like, oh, he's in the Goodwill. The context of that, I have some old games that total maybe five bucks in his hand. And it's like- And I'm waiting looks... like 30 minutes, you know, to get mm-hmm. these games. <laughs> exactly. How many people have done that to you where they've seen the label that you've put on? Right. And they've, they, through their own matrix of whatever it was, came to a conclusion about you that may or may not be true. Oftentimes- Probably not true, but people allow those biases that other people have to inform their self-worth. Now, there's a bigger conversation about how that's kind of pressed against somebody or used in a hateful or discriminatory way. 100% that is not okay. And when we have these moments, we have the chance to say, like, so why am I giving this person place? Right. I also think it's an opportunity, too, right? Like yeah, this isn't the opportunity. Yeah, I know you're talking about that, but no, I said you talk. Oh, about I'm that. sorry. I'll edit that part <laughs> out. <laughs> but what I, yeah, no, that is an opportunity, though. That is an opportunity to not only prove them wrong, but to educate someone else. And I think that, and it doesn't have to be done in a spiteful way or a no. smug way. And I think a lot of people so often would be like, "Look, I gotcha," you know. And I never look at that like when I'm correcting somebody or when I know they're totally wrong about me. I never look at it like, look, I got you and you're totally wrong about me. Ha, 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 ha. You know, (laughs) even though I want to do that sometimes, it really is about education. It's about just, you know, people learning about other people and differences, how that makes you like a stronger group of people together when everyone's different because if everyone was the same look let's get real here if everyone was the same this would be totally boring right totally boring (laughs) we would already know what you like we would already know what you want to do we would already know this stuff that's why these kind of biases that we have about people it's so great when we can just kind of like pull that wool over and be oh wow like i and i have that day like i think every week that's something i didn't know about somebody i totally learned something new and it is eye-opening to me. I'm like, I can't believe you like doing that. And they're like, why? I don't look like that kind of person? I'm like, well, that's true. You don't. I feel almost guilty that I want to say, like, well, I didn't think you were going to do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But but it's interesting because, like you say, like, oh, hey, check that out. Um, right. That's what it is. That, that, to me, tells us that we should always kind of reevaluate what labels have we just kind of made like a library of in our mind sure. that we quickly apply to a person, a cookie cutter, a yeah, the cookie cutter situation. You just, this person looks like this or this person likes this. So therefore they're this. Yes. A fun question to ask yourself would be what type of person am I that am you're completely come in under the radar? Those are fun things to maybe blindside somebody with. And maybe actually good to start a conversation with people. Right. With that, rather than like, hey, how are you? How are things? Uh, how's the weather? 
you know, how's your dog? I don't know. You know, there, there's like standard conversational things that you have. <laughs> right. And, but you might leave with something interesting. You know, not every stranger is not going to be as, you know, materially invested in the conversation. But Exactly. It's like, you know what you might not know about me? And you share it. And you'd be amazed at probably the things that you, people uncover because they real they might think like, that's too weird. Like, I don't know if people would like that about me. You know, it could be like, I like to collect stickers or I really love this. That's how people find friendship. That's how people find like these like weird alliances that you never would have expected. Yes. You know, in more recent times, uh, there's been stories about, you know, Justice Scalia and Justice, Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, how they spent a lot of friendly time together, even though they were so diametrically different in their in their stances and politics and things like that. But they found something to connect on. Well, common, and I think they had common ground. Yeah, they had common ground. Some of these label biases are something we can lay down in the hopes of finding common ground. Not asking people to lay down their their uniqueness, but just to find those areas where it's go, you know what, like, uh, I'm different just like everybody else. <laughs> right. And then I think it's also still realizing that human beings, we're just human beings, you know? Yep. And these biases just are in front of us. They're not really the core of us. I agree. You think we should put a comma here, Josh? I absolutely do. Till next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum.